0: You're out in the morning.
1: How oh, well, I wish I smiled at no Look. You've got Lily
0: on the floor. What's mm-hmm. been going on here? Please uh, don't fuss. You go have a nice cup of tea and take the rest of the evening off, would you? Mm-hmm. Go home. I'll see you in the morning and perhaps a nice bit of fish for Mr. Tibbs here before you go. Come on. Off you go. Get your supper. Well,
2: if you sure.
0: Fine, it's fine. And
2: don't you get going
0: up to any more. because this people are on the way now? Hmm? Very much please. I will, Mrs. J. Off you go now. Good night. <laughs> Good night, the battery her. Well, I told you she was a festival. <laughs> I have Robin made a mess here. Like a valve has blown. I'd have to find a replacement rather sharpishly if I'm going to find you some more magical things to listen to. Let's see if I have a spare in here. On a gramophone record. While I have a scout about and get this thing going again. <coughs> listening to me rummaging around. Now then, uh, where's my Evo meter? Normal. Uh, <coughs> I should do this better. Normal service will be resumed shortly. Please stay tuned. <coughs> Thank <laughs> And band. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but every song I've played so far has got a title which begins with the letter B. Did you spot that? I thought not. Well, it's a theme that I shall continue next time, and then we'll look at the letter C. Hmm, poetic, alphabetic, dialectic. <laughs> yeah. Now then, everything seems to be back in order now. Thank goodness, sir. <laughs> okay. In my search for a replacement valve, I happen to come across my astronomical ephemeris, as well as the correct entry in my journal, which means that I'm now able to find you that episode of suspenders that Faye was asking for. You remember, the one about the Yorkshire spacemen. I rather thought that it was fitting that I highlight this particular adventure this month, in light of the sad news which occurred just recently. You may or may not know, but a very good friend of mine died a few weeks back, and I shall miss him very much indeed, Paddy, or Sir Patrick, as he was known, was a trailblazer in the field of making the universe popular with the masses. No one did more than he to make the stars a concept within our grasp, both on the radio and television, through from the 1950s right up to the present day. (laughs) Sir Patrick Alfred Caldwell Moore, C-B-E-F-R-S-F-R-A-S An entirely self-taught man. I salute you. Perhaps a moment silence would be in order. Rest in peace, there. Now, as I said, my adventure all started with a news report, as you heard, and I rather impishly made it into a satirical story about the unfolding events. After we've heard that, I shall try and tune in to the subsequent genuine science program that aired after they had returned. It's all very intriguing, I'm sure you'll agree. (laughs) And... Thanks to me, nobody could separate the truth from the fiction, one way or another. <laughs> now, just a slight adjustment of this dial here. And, if I set this one to the early 1960s, There we go. I, I made this play for the American Networks originally. Hmm. I was big there too. Them. Here we go then, through the moon-shaped speaker. To insanity and beyond. Tired of the everyday idioms? Ever wanted to get away for a while? Have a dream of a life of mystery and suspense? We offer you, surrender a break from your four walls <laughs> of misery into a world of fantasy. Now on the KRUD Network, Beaver Brothers, Washing Powder, in association with Unfeasable Science Magazine, proudly presents our weekly days at the heavenly bodies of the future. That's right, live from our Hollywood soundstage, we bring you another fantastical adventure from the crew of a lone discovery ship in the furthest reaches of outer space, deep in the exciting future. Yes. It's time to strap yourself in and open the hatches of your imagination, as we bring you another thrilling episode of It Came from Out of Nowhere!
1: Space, the final flaky air, starting 2152, time a little before 10 o'clock, it was a Tuesday. My name is Kevin Hansen. These are the logs of the Starship Ineptitude. Our 10-year mission to boldly split infinitives like none have been split before. aimlessly through space for many months now, desperate to discover something new and interesting. The crew were tired and jaded, the so was I. I'd been on this tin can for years, and all we found was a few burned out planets that showed no signs of intelligent life. We'd found some space junk floating around, and remnants of what looked like a huge black monolith, but apart from that, nothing of any significance. But that particular evening we stumbled across something that changed the whole nature of our mission. Captain M? Yes, Dick. Don't
3: you think that it's strange? Why strange, Dick? Well, no, Captain, here in the 22nd century, we're still using nautical expressions from hundreds of years ago. Dick. Sure, hmm. Illogical expressions like starboard. Surely, when we're so far out in space, every board is a starboard. Hmm,
1: you might have a point there. Beauty? Yeah? What's the status? Well, Captain, I think the engine room is revolting. So do I, Yehudi. Filthy stinking place. No, sir. The men. Oh, them, too. Unruly bunch of workshy. Oh, no, Captain. I mean they're on the brink of revolt. What? Why? Why is that? Well, they seem worse,
2: sir. They say they haven't had anything to do for months now. No light speed, no
1: battle. Ah, it's just
3: starboard. They'll get over it. <coughs> I think that it might be more than that. Oh? Yes, there have been murmurings.
1: Murmurings? Yes, Captain. Murmurings. What were these murmurings and what were they about? In the canteen, Captain. We have a canteen? Yes, Captain. And these
3: murmurings were about your well-styled command, sir. They seem to think that you have been something of a loose cannon over a recent weeks. Who's
1: behind these murmurings, Hick?
3: Well, Dougie is our chief engineer. Maybe he knows something.
1: Yahoo! Yes, Captain? Nick me Dougie McTavish on the intercom. I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. Hey, hey! Chief Engineer McTavish! Dougie, what's all this about murmurings? Mornings, Captain. Yes, Dougie. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Well, you two seem to be on a bit of a short fuse, these days. Every Captain hates the seat, Dougie. It's a well-known fact. Hey, but I'll warn you. Oh, God, you will come up your bad temper, not And I'll remind you, Officer McTaddy, just who's in charge here? Tell your men to fall in line or I'll put them on a half rations. Bridge out. Aye, hey, hey, aye, Captain. Oh. Uh, do you think we'll ever find intelligent life out there, Dick? A race of people as intelligent and as compassionate as we are? I don't know, Captain. I just don't know.
3: But I would stipulate that right now in a parallel universe, maybe in a different time dimension, somewhere someone is asking these questions. in
1: do you think there's life on phones? I don't know Jeff. I, I just don't know. How long have we been in space now? Hmm? How long have we been floating in space now? About two weeks. Uh, are we there yet? No, not yet. Oh, I'm so bored. Oh, won't be long now mate. Hey, we're right looking that Mission Control has some jump leads. Aye, right, well aye. Uh, so, we made it in that. It Yes mate. All those little ducks have light lights at the window. Aye. Where are they? Stares. Hmm, well we crash into them when we get there. Don't nope, we shall. Come on, better do a status report. <coughs> this is Wolf Adventurer calling Starbeck. And you see them, you Starbucks.
3: Over. Right. Oh, i get We've
2: just about here,
1: you. The light is sunny, mate. How's it all going? Oh, good to hear you, Starbucks. It's going fine so far. You do have a status report, son us? Aye. We're all playing with Air conditioning functioning normally, main thrusters operational, Russians still intact. Tell them we'll stick a chaser on the infamages. Hey, fellas,
2: I've got to tell you, the world is resting in at the moment. Why? Yes, it seems we've really kicked off a media storm. No few just cleaning with reporters and Americans are fuming mad.
1: Good news, Starbeck. We'll try not to let you down. Yes, yes.
2: Can you
1: hear me? Yes, Starbeck, I'm here. There's
2: someone
1: special here that would like a word with you. Just a moment. All right, go on then. Who is it, Edith. Hello, little It's me. Oh, but a Hey, wait. can you hear me? Huh, oh, your life. Yes, dear, I can hear you. What, what's up? How long are you
2: going to be up there? I've got this
1: little pity here to go with all by yourself, and there's no end of jobs he's doing. I'm on a special mission. I told you that. It's going to take a few weeks, yeah. Right,
2: well, think on. Don't you go to silly going around. I'm not stopping up at the pub on the way home
1: either. Yes, dear. So when we get back, don't forget to bring milk. toilet roll. Milk and toilet rolls, right? Hey, what's that swirly mushy down there? Oh, crikey, that does not look good. I bet. There seems to be something wrong. We're running into a cloud, a sort of whirlpool thing. Shall I be the, uh, Yes, right. sir. What is it?
2: What's happening?
1: Robert, yeah, we're being pulled into a... It seems like a... Oh, no. Captain, Captain. Going to the something's showing up on my scanner. Why is it, Yehudi? It appears to be another craft, sir. Here, let me see. Hmm. It seems much smaller than our gargantuan vessel. Yeah, what do you think? Well, Captain, as the science officer, I
3: would suggest that it warrants further investigation. After all, it is the first interesting thing we've seen in a long time. <clears throat> Your powers of deduction amaze me. eventually, Captain. A craft of this size must have considerable powers to be so deep into outer space.
2: Captain. There appears to be an anomaly on my electromagnetic resonating
1: radar scanner. What is it, Judy? Then don't give me that lie about it being an electronic device again. I'm sick of your fat chat references. What do you see on the scanner? Switch on the big screen. I want to see huge graphics and lots of numbers. Well,
2: it would have been a captain, but the ship is surrounded by an intense gravitational pull. Almost as though they are coming through. It, It can't be possible, but it seems as though they passed through
3: a rabbit hole a rabbit hole But these things are only speculative. We have no hard evidence surely, it's surely Captain. If it is a rabbit hole then this makes this discovery all the more important. We must go and investigate this craft and find out how they discovered the rabbit hole and maybe we can learn something more about this portal at the same time. Maybe they're an intelligence far greater than us, Captain.
1: Yes, I think you're right. Come on, let's prepare to communicate. Yoni, switch on the receiving module. I think we can pick up any radio signals coming from the craft. Very well, Captain. Ooh, uh, Captain,
2: it seems to have crashed.
1: What the ship? Wonders- no, 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 my computer station, Captain. Why don't you contact
3: information technology support, Captain? Download A minus one set.
1: Oh, it's all right. I know what they're gonna tell me. Yodi, switch it off. Now switch it back on again. Yeah, give me that microphone. <laughs> this is, uh, E.I.O. Starship and attitude. Captain Hamm speaking. Are you receiving me? Nothing yet, Captain. I'll try again. E-I- EIO Starship and attitude. Captain Hand broadcasting to you. Are you receiving me, alien spacecraft? I don't know then, silly. Huh? What's I doing? This is Wolf Adventurer. Identify yourself. What's he saying, Vic?
3: I don't know, Captain. I'll feed it through the translation module and see if we get a transcript of their strange language.
1: <laughs> Captain Hand here again. Can you repeat your message? Uh, I heard. I get deaf so much. Identify yourself, aliens. This is Wolf Adventurer. What did he say? Something about dwarf adventurers? ALIENS WARF ADVENTURES? What's the result of your translations? Well,
3: Captain, having fed the broadcast through my translation module, it seems that it's not a scrambled message or a language at all. It seems to be a variation of English. A very arcane variational.
1: Possibly regional. That must be a trick. here, aliens, we, uh, we don't wish you any harm. We're just explorers. We're not here to rob you or your planet of its resources. We just want to meet you and document who you are. We come in peace. We are your friends. All right, all well, that's remember. not matter, we're on a special mission and all. We come in peace, too, unless you start any arguments. about it. The, the, you're going to have to fix that translation device. We need to know what these strange people are saying to us. Well, Captain. It
3: looks like it's all going to have to fall down to a face-to-face communication. They seem pleasant enough, but they have their own mannerisms, which we have yet to determine if they're hostile or not.
1: We're gonna have to send someone down there. Khrushchev? Do you have copy? Fetch me one of the scouts! In fact, bring me the leader of the scouts. I want a scout leader down there on that ship straight away. Very good, Captain. Have him meet me in the transportation room in five
2: minutes. Scout leader Nancy Boyce, reporting for duty, sir. Ah, Nancy
1: Boyce. There you are. I've got a very special mission for you. Very good, sir. Now, I don't know how much you've heard, but we... Well, we have a situation here. We've encountered an alien spacecraft not too far from here, and we need someone to go down there and investigate. Are you up for a challenge? Of course, Captain. You know me. Get to the stars. Very good. Dougie, prepare the oscillators. Hey, hey, Captain. But I have to warn you, that's an alien spaceship. Who knows what kind of environment she'll be going into? Oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. It usually is. Besides, Nancy Boyce here is a fully dispensable, uh, I mean, dependable member of the crew. Means to means coordinated the engaged, Captain. Stuff in the mid-generation. Oh, it
2: makes me feel so
1: now shit. May God go with you. hope everything broadcasting. Are there any more signals coming from that spaceship? Aye.
0: Trevor,
1: take your headphones off, man. What are you saying? I can't hear you. I've headphones on. I said, are there any more radio broadcasts coming through? Wait a minute. It's not coming through. Robert Richworth, this is Captain Harris speaking. Now, we're about to send one of our... Don't attack. He comes in peace. I promise you, we have no hostile intention. Oh, bloody hell. They could have let us tidy up first. Captain, um, before you do, we certainly sort of have to tell you.
2: Greetings. I am the Nancy Boyz, calculator to the stars from the D.I.O. E. Starship and episode, and I come in peace.
1: Come in I watch yourself. Hey, stop fucking. Oh. oh, what's that strange gas that you breathe? Oh, yeah, <laughs> sorry about that, we've, uh, we've just had sardine sarnies.
2: What do you say? <coughs>
1: we've just had sardine sarnies for us, season. and, well, somebody's got a bit of a jiffy tummy, haven't you, clever? Well, sure you to all right, captain, but, uh, you can't do some. Yes, well, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, it doesn't usually happen. Oh, right. well, anyway, how come you can understand us in your are time. Oh,
2: that's very simple, you see, I can speak a hundred and eighty six... Languages, I
1: can do eighty-nine Earth
2: languages with hundred and sixty-six regional, variational, and dialectical variants, and I can speak sixty-two galactical languages with all their associated
1: accents. Wait a minute, I know.
2: I know. Wonderful. You must tell me where are you from.
1: Oh, okay. We're from Yorkshire. And where is that?
2: Oh, oh, no. And how did you get here? Through the rabbit hole?
1: Okay. Well, we were on this uh, way to Moon, and uh, well, we got a bit lost. There's your onboard computer. Well, I'm wrong. Well, how do you know where you're going? Well, we, we, we've got a compass and dials over there. Where are they, your friend? Men, I you now. This huge device here, what's that? Hey, don't touch that. That's a grundy tape recorder. That's what we record all those findings on. And when we get back to it we'll need that to all our logs to Air Commander. So oh, this is a voice recorder? Aye, oh, that's right. Could I leave a message for the people of Planet here? Ha ha, I <don't>, you should. <laughs> Hang on a minute, I'll just turn it on. Please, it's running. <coughs> <coughs>
2: Greetings, people of York here. This is Council Leader Nancy Point, the EIO starship Epic saying hello, we come in peace. Is
1: that all right? All right, grand. Now, it's my turn to ask a few questions. I can tell from your accents that you're all Americans, aren't you? That's astonishing. How did you work that out? I've been to pictures. I know what you sound like. Now, tell me, what time is it where you've come from? Because I'm afraid our have software stops crew, that's their storm pile Why? Start You mean the year? Yes. If you what? No, I think you'll find it's 1965. And as far as I'm concerned, Americans haven't made it this far, yet? You mean you're from
2: the year 1965? That's 185 years in the past. Please, tell me again where precisely is the planet your share?
1: Well, if one are going to tricky about it, I'd say Earth... Have you heard of Earth? Yes,
2: that's where we're from.
1: Right, then, Nancy Boyce. change his matters a little bit. On behalf of the Queen's Own Space Adventure Corps and on behalf of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, I'm claiming this part of the galaxy as British. We were here first. We get first digs on all mineral and elemental rides. Go back and tell that to your captain. Merci. Nancy, can you hear me? Yes, Captain. Dougie,
2: beam me back up. They're the turn ugly. Yes, you. Well, you. <laughs> oh, that machine plays havoc with my hair. What do I look like?
1: You look like a man with a story to tell. Come on, spill your beans, Nancy. What's the skin on these dwarves?
2: Well, the first thing, Captain, is that they're not dwarves. Oh, yes, yes. They were sitting down, and I'd estimate them to be at least six feet in height. Ah, what did I tell you, Dick? It's a trap. Go on,
1: Nancy. What else did you find out?
2: Well, Captain, they breathe a strange kind of noxious, gaseous atmosphere, and they smell of... Fish,
1: fish. This is more potentially serious than we thought. Mutant humanoids. Wait, there's more. Potential. There's good news and there's bad news. Okay, even the bad news first. Well, the bad news, is that they're capable
2: of navigating their way around the solar system entirely on their instincts. They have no electronic or megatronic technology of any kind. It's all in their minds. What? Yeah. And furthermore, nature and it gets worse.
1: Making a mistake on this quadrant of Quick, Dick, Google it for me. I want to know who she is. Very well, Captain. <coughs> <coughs> My apologies,
3: Captain. I'm afraid this Galactic right Web is a little slow when we're this far out. Hmm. Wait a moment. Hmm. It would seem that Queen Elizabeth was the reigning sovereign of the country of England a couple of hundred years ago. She reigned from 1953 to 2020 and was succeeded by
1: King William, but that was before the incident, Captain. (laughs) The incident? I guess if all this is true, then they won't know about the incident. Could it be true? Uh, I don't know. Nancy, what's the good news? The good news, Captain, is that that's all the bad news I got. Oh, very clever. Next, I'm gonna go out there and meet these guys mm-hmm. halfway. What do you think? Well, I'm not so sure, Captain.
3: Maybe I would be a better candidate for a face-to-face discussion. With my superior intelligence, my advanced space command training, and negotiating skills, and also the fact that I'm from the planet Galvan. Out there in the intense conditions of the vacuum of space, I'll be
1: fully galvanized. Ah, you might be galvanized, Nick, but I'm still kingpin of the here ten bucket. This discovery my baby. Tell me, prepare me a spacesuit. And bring me a light sword as well. It might get nasty out there. Here he comes. (laughs)
4: One of the technicians on the team gave them a jump start and eventually got them going. Unfortunately, 16 days into the mission, we lost video contact with the warp adventure, and so far we've been unable to get an update. In a moment, we're going to go back to the mission control in Starbeck to see if we any further news. And let us back you over now to Private Binns at the scene. Gary, can you hear me? Yes, yes I can. Hello,
1: Ernest. Well, here we are in Starbeck, Yorkshire, Area
4: 19, and I'm going to begin
1: my Norman Conquest, the controller of the Yorkshire, or should I say, the British Moon Mission.
3: Hold on a minute, can you tell me what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> you listen, you listen, Mokie. Uh, we're right, right. Well, it seems that the Wolf Adventure ran into a dust cloud at some point, and uh, we think that it's knocked out all radio contact. That's what we're hoping anyway. We haven't been able to uh, track them by telescope, but at the moment we've lost communication with them, and uh, when the one's outside the moonlight, uh, it's an area that has uh, never been
1: seen before. Well, uh, there is no dark side of the moon, really. As a matter of fact, it's all dark. Do you think we'll regain contact with them soon? Do you think
3: they're all right? Oh yes, we're very confident that this is uh, just a temporary hitch, and before long we'll start to pick up something when they emerge.
1: Now look here, poor adventurers, we, uh, we hear what you're saying, but we, we think that we need to meet face to face. I'm the captain here, and I want to level a few things with you. If you're going to stake a claim on this particular quadrant of the galaxy, we need to talk some serious talk here. All right, well it's right, listen. If you're from future, and we're from past, and we're starting a claim, that means that retrospectively, we own this quadrant in the universe. Uh, stick up in the pipe and smoke it. Oh, what's he saying, Nancy? I got no idea. Look, what I propose to do is come out there on a life support line and meet you in neutral territory. How does that grab you? Oh, it's he's offering to take you outside. <laughs> oh, really? It's one of us, is it? Well, come on then if you think you know, don't I could make out. He said, you think you're hard enough, he's obviously referring to our titanium shell and our radioactive force protection field. OK, tell me when you're ready for... Sir, oh, have you seen that? door's opening. Look, there's somebody coming out. Oh, i better get my show champion. Hang on a minute. Hey, you'll need to take a drink before you go out there. It's a bit darky. You don't want to go dehydrating now, do you? Is there any more what you've read? It's rich. Aye, ah, here you go. Hey need some. <laughs> we Yeah, you'll be all right. Luke, give us a couple of minutes. Tell him I'm on his way. Uh, In up to field. This is Roth Adventure. There. He's on his way. Oh, did he say anything? I got no idea. Here, check with Monkey Wrench. I might get mardy with you. Oh, good idea. Five minutes of oxygen, just so you know. Uh, there you go. Dick, impact the radio contact through to my headset, please. Uh, uh, dwarf, Dwarf Adventurer, can you hear me? This is Captain Head. Can you hear me, Dwarf Adventurer? Tell uh, uh, so, 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 like me your own microphone up to make it so uh, you can hear it. Alright, No on, better to do. Dwarf Adventurer, this is Captain Head. Are you receiving me? Alright, uh, Captain, I am. This is Flight Lieutenant Sarah Ranger on of the green zone Speed Space Exploration Mission from the Starship Wolf Adventurer. Receiving you loud and clear, Captain. Let me get a little closer so that I can see the whites of your eyes, Lieutenant. Alright, we'll think on. I'm very heavily armed. Ah, oh, you don't need to be afraid, Trevor. Can I tell you, Trevor? See, like I said, we, we don't have any uh, hostile intentions, but... Uh, well, your story seems fascinating. If you really are from Earth and the years that you say you are, then this truly is a remarkable discovery for both of us. Oh, you're not wrong there. But with your advanced understanding of science, you could come back to my own childhood and, well, effectively rule the world with your more complex technologies. Ah, fellow, we're American. We wouldn't do something like that. But I've got a counter-attack. If you were to continue your exploration of our time zone, you could plunder our resources and develop knowledge own technologies into the same stage that we are, putting yourself a hundred years ahead of everybody else in the space race. And that would complicate things for us here in the future. Having established a tiger, if you will, through the rabbit hole, who knows what hordes would come after you. But you know what, Trevor? You. You know, you'd be in charge of all. Imagine how powerful that would make you. You mean your Majesty the Queen? Yes, Trevor what? Now look, I got a level with you. I'm not in any mood to knock down at this moment. I'm sure you're in the mm. Looks like we've done a bit of a stalemate on you, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. If we retreat now, I'm pretty sure that you're gonna follow us. If you retreat, I bet that you, you think we're gonna follow you. Alright, yeah. obviously. So, and of course you need, Trevor, the only course of action that we both have is to make a force of strike against other. But in doing that, we both run in the risk of being obliterated. But I think, as you probably know, we usually always win. Well, maybe not this time, cowboy. I can check you out easily enough. Come here. Let me, Stay still. Hey, what, what? are you doing? I'm trying to take a swing at him, but he's really hard in space. He's like I'm moving in slow motion. Come on, you. Oh, <laughs> Well, he seems to be waving his arms around me in slow motion. I think I'm going to have to use the life sign. Hey, buddy. I didn't want to have to do this, but... You ask for it. Who's oh. okay. right, that going to enough Oh, uh, 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 uh. you. uh, 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 I'm going to meet you, bitch. Uh, well, I'm not going to save
0: me. <coughs>
1: Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. my, my is broke. I'm floating off. You better do something. I don't know how to stop myself. What? Uh, it looks like You need to me in, quickly. can I just about Hang on a minute. I'll just set down, so I've got too have only got two minutes of oxygen left. <laughs> Help me up with this suit, would you? No. Oh, yeah. uh, shall I be stealing the arrow too? <laughs> yeah, you do that. So, Mr. Captain. What did your negotiations reveal? What did he say to you? Well, I guess I got no idea. But I could sure tell the tone of his wife. And that's enough for me. I'm gonna have one last word with these guys and give them another chance. And, and after that, well... I suggest we take direct action. You ready? Yes. Give me that microphone. my <clears throat> Well, This is Captain Hand here again. I feel that like I need to tell you a few home truths about the future. You see, I think you guys might be operating under a bit of a false illusion about the ways that things turn out. See, what happened was, in 1973, Earth passed through a huge meteor shower wasn't many meteor shower it was thought to be the tail end of this rabbit hole that you now accidentally stumbled across. Anyway, the upshot was that it changed the whole space-time continuum of everything that happened on Earth. You might have noticed that there was an increased speed with which things happened. Your technology advanced fairly quickly after that. Fashions became worse cost of living became higher, global suicide rates escalated, drug use spiraled out of control, but worst of all was the incessant mining of oil. Yeah, you guys didn't know it yet, but the more oil you took out of the Earth's fragile crust, the more unstable it became, until about 2025 when the whole thing began to implode upon itself. That was around the time of what we now call the Incident which was basically a reformed United Nations effort called the International Earth Origin, or the EIO, to get the most significant brains and talent together in what we called the Ark. We left Planet Earth to offer adventures while there was still time, established what few communities we could on the planets we knew that could sustain some form of life ineptitude has been flying for many years now, looking for the ideal place for us to rebuild what little we knew of the species we call human. Now, I don't know if you've figured this out or not, but if we came back to 1965, we stand a very good chance of preventing this, shall we say, man-made natural disaster. Huh? But now that I've clued you in on it, you stand a very good chance of making those same decisions yourself and claiming all the glory for it. Uh, I ain't gonna let that happen, queen or no queen. I'll have you know that the E.I.O. Starfleet is known for having the galaxy's most efficient ships. Uh, what's he saying about efficient ships? Therefore, I have to inform you now that under the very Universal Law of the United States, I shall be making the initial command to take first strike action against you. I found something. it, sir? It's a big black, rectangular shirt. Uh, it's really strange. I think we're able to look into its yes. depths. Keep it all together, Trevor. I think you're just experiencing a bit of oxygen deprivation. Try not to fall asleep. Oh, no, Jeff. It's all very clear. I can see things very clearly now. It's all very clear to me. Something... Something wonderful's gonna happen, Jeff. Oh. Hang on. I'll just see if I can show information intermission control. Give in me a minute. Oh, I myself. Old man. I'm a very old man, oh. Just hang on a minute, Merce. I've got an idea. If I throw this thing into reverse and open the hatch, I can pick you up on the way. Oh, yes, On the way. With all of us. On the way. Somewhere special. Just like this big baby. Sit oh. with it, Trevor. Not fall asleep. Adventurer, oh. can you hear me? Are you receiving? What's happening, fellas? Is everything all right? Oh, oh.
2: Okay. okay. Come
1: on, the main blaster. I'm going to these fools. Hey, Captain, But only if you're really certain I've never been more sure in my life. Switch it on and let's get this over with. And not in addition, to me, Captain, capacitor must and lost for me, Captain. It gets no better judgment to him. Never. You try and keep as still as you can now. I'm engaging reverse gears, and I'm going for the full thrust. I'll scoop you from the way across. Five. Three, two, one. Trap, hold on. Here I come. Oh, it looks like we're going back to that rabbit hole. Nearly there. she Oh, my. Oh, my week. Possibly- Bingo! Right on target. (laughs) Yes, I guess that's the last we'll be seeing of them. Captain, the craft seems to have disappeared off my scanner,
3: sir. Do you think they really were who they said they were, Captain?
1: I don't know, Dick, but my hunch is that they were a race of people far greater than ours. So perhaps it's best they're out of the way. You do realize, Captain, that you have inadvertently, or er, potentially, followed the course of history
3: itself. What do you mean, Dick? Well, their tomorrow is our today. Our today is the tomorrow that they're heading towards. And of course, today is the tomorrow that we dreamed
1: about yesterday. Hmm... Clever thing. Well, I guess we'll never know. Cruise you Engines on full steam ahead. Let's get out of here. Please.
3: You have been listening to It Came from Out of Nowhere. Our weekly gaze at the Heavenly bodies, right here on the KRUB Network. It was written and produced by Reginald Merriweather, and was brought to you by Beaver Brothers Washing Powder, in association with Unfeasible Science Magazine. This week it starred Conrad Washington as the Captain, Larry Nimrod as Dick, and Susan Stanwyck as Nancy. Also featured were Chet Wrinkle, Paul Perer, and Angus McLeod. Special music was adapted by Mercurial Hemingway. We invite
0: you to join us next Ooh, week. that's
1: And
0: do you know, I saw the that we'll be hearing more from Captain Hand and the Starship Beneftitude in further episodes of my program. <laughs> you see if we don't. Well, children, as it's Christmas... I thought I'd finish with some stories about fairies. Do you have a fairy on top of your Christmas tree? Hmm? Yes, so do I. And there she is. What a beauty she is. Would you like to hear about some real fairies? Mm? Well, back in the 1930s, I used to make a program called My Gypsy Life, where I toured around the country, looking at local life and interviewing the peasants. It was terribly successful at the time, Uh, once I spent some time in Yorkshire, and if I can find it, uh, there was once a program all about my research for some little people. Uh, Oh, here it is. Good. Right, off we go through the fairy-shaped window.
1: Listening to the Home Service from the BBC. Broadcasting from London. And now, Old Merriweather invites you to join him on his travels around Great Britain in a series entitled, My Gypsy Life.
3: Hello.
4: On my travels around the South Isles, I've met some fascinating people, and not more so than right here in Yorkshire. It's a place that's north, and you can find it on a map, somewhere beyond Bedfordshire, but not as far as Scotland. Today, I'm in Cottingley, in West Yorkshire, where some fascinating events unfolded some years ago. In his book... The Coming of the Fairies, by Arthur Conan Doyle, published in 1922. Doyle stated that we see objects within the limits which make up our color spectrum, with infinite vibrations unused by us on either side of them. If we could conceive a race of beings which were constructed in material, which threw out shorter or longer vibrations, they would be invisible unless we could tune ourselves up or turn them down. It is exactly that power of tuning up and adapting itself to other vibrations, which constitutes the clairvoyant. And there is nothing scientifically impossible, so far as I can see, in some people seeing that which is invisible to others. Now, as you may remember, Doyle was the creator of that wonderful and insightful detective, Sherlock Holmes, who was in turn known to say that... Once in... one has eliminated
3: the impossible, so what remains, however, improbable, must be the proof.
4: That was enough to convince me. But what is this brouhaha all about? Well, it would appear that in 1917, two young girls, Frances and Elsie Wright, took some photographs in the woods nearby here of what they claimed to be fairies. If you've never seen these photographs, I strongly urge you to take a trip to your local library. They are a the most wonderful sight. In spite of the many critics who insisted that the photographs were fake, even with a sealed and prepared camera, the two girls were able to go down to their favorite spot and capture new images of these little beasts. Conan Doyle, a keen spiritualist, was so convinced of the existence of fairies that he also had this to say. The recognition of their existence will choke the material 20th-century mind out of its heavy rugs in the mud and will make it admit that there is a glamour and mystery to life. Fine words, indeed. In fact, Margaret Macmillan, the educational and social reformer, also wrote, How wonderful that, to these dear children, such a wonderful gift has been vouchsafed. I was fascinated to find out for myself just what was happening in this sleepy little backward village. So, this week, here I am in the very woods where all this took place. And I've also arranged to meet the girls in an attempt to interview them further and perhaps get a glimpse of their fairies. Well, here we are, deep in the beautiful woods on the gently sloping edge of the Cottingley Hills. And what a beautiful day it is. The birds are singing, the brook is babbling, and the buds are sproaking. Any moment now. The girls should be arriving. To give me a clue as to where to look, to see a glimpse of these cheeky little chappies dancing and prancing about. Uh, okay. What's this? Some movement in the undergrowth. Oh, good. oh, oh! Yeah. cat. For a moment there, I thought. You. What's this? A visitor? Um. Hello. What are you doing over there? Um. Skulking in the undergrowth. I am not stalking. I am waiting for some girls. What? Yes. I'm, uh, waiting for the
3: girls to arrive. Which girls are these, then? What, what is going on here? They promised me to show me, where they are. Where what they are? The, the fairies. You better start explaining yourself pretty quickly, young or It's down to the station with you. Quick shot
4: There are fairies living around here. Pardon? The, the
3: fairies. Right, I've heard of you. No,
4: wait, wait. Are you ready to move Aye,
3: well, we've had quite a few of you crum-pops around these parts over recent years. Sergeant, <whistles> arrest him.
4: No, no, wait. I'm going to explain. Well, there you have it. We'll leave the simple folk of Yorkshire to their jolly country beliefs and return you now to the safety of the studio. Thankfully, the local constabulary were lenient on me when Francis and Elsie corroborated my story and agreed to send me a signed photograph, which I shall describe to you in the next episode. What a shame it was that I didn't get to see the little folks for myself. So, uh, but for now, I invite you to join me again on my dear life. but until then...
0: Oh, well, sweet they were, Francis and Elsie. Never did get to see the fairies, though. Such a shame. But Conan Doyle, what about that, then? Such an intelligent man, and practical, too. He believed in them. Do you? Well, as it's getting late. I thought that I'd read you one of my stories from my big, fat storybook. Something to send you to bed with. Yes, these are my fireside fantasies, as I like to call them. Would you like to hear a story? Or are you sitting comfortably? Well, here we go, This is a story which is called The Fairy That Fell Off the Christmas Tree. Once upon a time, long, long ago, there was a little house set in a big garden. The snow was falling softly all around, and through the darkness, each window sparkled with a warm inviting glow. It was nearly Christmas, and inside the house, garlands of holly and ivy adorned every surface. The fireplace crackled with an inviting fire, and to one side hung a single red stocking, just waiting for to be filled with exciting things. To the other stood a huge Christmas tree with twinkling balls of every kind. Some were shaped like little soldiers, some were shaped like little trains, and some looked like balls, all dangling and pink, listening in the flickering, dancing flames. Just then, the door opened slightly, and who should poke their head around but little Molly wrapped in her dressing gown? carrying a candle to light her way in one hand and a saucer in the other. She tiptoed her way towards the tree and stood for quite some time looking up at it. A big smile spread across her face as she trembled with excitement at the arrival of Santa Claus. Molly put the candle on the little table next to the tree and placed the saucer next to it. On the saucer was a mince pie for Santa and a carrot for Rudolph. She smiled sweetly and looked up at the fairy standing proudly at the top of the tree. Then she patted her puppy, who was curled up beside the fire. Shh, Tagnut, don't wake anyone. These are for Santa and Rudolph, she said. Tagnut looked up at her and blinked. Don't forget to look after the fairy for me, she added, pointing to the top of the tree. Tadnut nodded. Then she turned and tiptoed quietly out of the room again and off to bed. She could barely contain herself as she quickly climbed the stairs, and quietness fell once more upon the little house. (laughs) From the top of the tree, the little fairy looked down, and was dismayed to see that Molly had left her candle burning on the side table. Oh dear, she said, I had better go and blow that out. So, carefully scrambling from the very top branch, the little fairy began the long climb to the bottom of the tree. Past the little train, the little soldier, Past the frosted snowflake ornaments and tiny parcels hanging down, she wibbled and wobbled her way from bow to bow until she was near the large round wooden tub on the floor. Tagna saw her and became quite alarmed. He sprung from his blanket, and with a single bound, captured the little fairy in his teeth as she fell the last few inches. In the commotion, he accidentally knocked the small table sideways, and the candle went tumbling into the tinsel that surrounded the huge tree and framed the fireplace. With the fairy in his mouth, Tadna scampered out of the room toward the kitchen. Once there, he saw that the back door had been left ajar by his father, who was out in the shed fetching more logs for the fire. He nuzzled his way through the gap and trotted to the bottom of the garden, his favorite place by the gooseberry bush. The ground was hard and covered with fresh snow, but with a bit of work he managed to scrape a little hole which got bigger and bigger. The little fairy's terrified screams were too quiet for Tadna to hear, and he kept on scratching at the ground until he had made a deep hole in the dark, damp soil. Then he popped the fairy into the bottom, and with his fat legs began to kick the earth back in to cover her up for later. But as he turned, he saw something quite unexpected. Little red flames were dancing at every window, and after a time, pretty little pink sparks filled the air as the whole house became a wonderful display of leaping orange and yellow lights. And there, at an upstairs window, Tagnut could see Molly waving wildly. Meanwhile, up in the sky, a sleigh pulled by eight reindeer swooped by And there, seated at the back, was a very fat, jolly fellow who waved back. And above the noise, his voice could just be heard as it echoed away and past the house. Good night to all, and to all, a good night, men. Well, there you are then, you see. Did you enjoy that? Exciting, wasn't it? In the great tradition of strawbeater, it's a tale to remind you not to leave candles unattended. I'm so pleased that Tagnut saved the little fairy in the end. Yes. And I hope it gives you sweet dreams and lovely imaginings as you toddle off to slumberland. <laughs> well... I think it's time now to switch the old radio off and let it cool down a bit. There we go. I do hope you've enjoyed your time with me and that you'll want to go on a trip with me again next time. You do? Oh, how wonderful. When you do, I'll have more adventures isn't music to inform, educate, entertain, and thrill you. Join me next time, when I once again switch on my time machine and invite you to listen to Uncle Reg's Magic Radio. But, sadly, it's now my bedtime. time, and that music that you hear brings a lump to the eye, a tear to the throat, and an end to the program. And all that remains now is for me to say to you the immortal words. Good night. Good night, children, wherever you are.
1: Uncle Reggie's Magic Radio is a Corniche Pastiche production and featured Dawn Lindsay. It was written and produced by J. Bramwell Slater, who is a member of the Royal Shakespeare Book Club. And acknowledgements and credits go to the generous community at freesound.org. You can get in touch with Uncle Reggie by visiting the website at 3 That's coosh with a K and two O's. slash reg. He is also on Facebook as Reginald Merriweather, as well as on Twitter at The Real Reginald. This episode is dedicated to Sir Patrick Moore, who died in December. This program is broadcast on the last Sunday of each month, and you can hear the next episode on the 27th of January. However, there will be repeats and eventually a podcast to download on iTunes by searching for Uncle Reggie. But now, it's very nearly 12 o'clock.